Hello guys, gals, and non-binary pals. Welcome to the newest episode of the Noobs and Knockouts podcast. This is Austin. I am a knockout. I have watched a lot of wrestling. I'm David. I'm a noob, and I haven't watched a lot of wrestling because up until recently I was under the delusion that wrestling could never ever, or wrestling was, was always bad, and now I've learned that wrestling can never ever be bad, right? <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned wrestling being bad. It's almost like that was intentional. Because, uh, today, because today we make our foray into a new era of WWE. A new generation. Uh, <laughs> so, so for those people who don't know, I did casually kind of mention the new generation in episode four when I was explaining the Attitude Era and how we got to that. But I, didn't, but I, I was like, eventually we'll do the new generation. I'll talk more about it then. Got it. We're here now, where the new generation is the era that happens after um, the 80s wrestling boom, uh, otherwise known as the Golden Age or the Hulkamania era, if you um, want to call it that, because kind of Hulk Hogan's kind of is Hulk Hogan's run kind of defines that era, and when he leaves is about when that era ends too. So, you know, it works. The new generation is relatively short for as, as, um, Historic, historically infamous it is. It only runs from about late... Depending on who yeah, This is another one of those depending on who yeah situations. But at the latest, it goes to about 1990... starts at about 1993. That, that's my opinion where it starts. It's about early 93. And then it ends probably around late 90, 1996. And even into 1996, WWE was started transitioning out of a lot of the elements that are infamous... The, this era is best remembered for but it, I, again I, I i define the start of the attitude era which is the next segment in line is early 97 so in my mind at a new generations kind of into 96 so i mean what, i mean that to be fair that's a longer run than than the attitude era right attitude era is about the same length honestly okay about five years or so Oh, I thought it was only like two for some. Okay, <laughs> no, no, but um, so kind of the the hallmarks of the new generation is first of all was this is this is when Monday Night Raw first debuted on television. It debuted in January of nineteen ninety three, and it, it it's kind of interesting because right now, and I and I'll go deeper into it when I start talking about storylines, is that like, in this point in time. Following storylines on TV is kind of difficult because it's not only on Raw. Raw is a one-hour show, but they're also doing stuff on WWF Superstars, which is the Saturday morning A sh former like during the Golden Age. That was the A show in terms of like where to follow storyline progression. That's still airing when Monday Night Raw is air is airing, and they also do storyline progression on Superstars, which isn't on the WWE Network. So I had to read some blogs online to follow along from that end of it. Cool. But like the big thing with Raw is that it's not instead of being a Saturday morning um, uh, lineup kind of a thing, it's live in prime it's live in prime time they did end up backing off from that after a little bit because guess what running live every week is really expensive so it started becoming an every other week thing until basically until the late attitude era when they started making so much money that they could go back to a being able to afford going live every week uh -huh. and 
So the new generation is kind of, if I had to kind of describe the new generation, it's like, what if we kept trying to do the golden age after everyone stopped caring about that, after people's tastes changed, and without any of the star power and charisma that really helped carry that era? Like, it's, it's still, it has a still very cartoony kind of vibe, but now we're in, like, the 90s. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And so people are like, this is kind of dumb. <laughs> and they don't have a Hulk Hogan or Randy Savage. Well, they do, but he's not wrestling. To be able to kind of anchor everything. That even if you think this is kind of dumb, you know, at least, you know, Hulk Hogan is Hulk Hogan, though. And he kind of can help pull, lift, lift some of the more struggling ships in this, in this tide. Yeah. <laughs> It's all about that star power, man. It is. And right now in WWE, uh, nope. Oof. <laughs> they're trying. They're tr- To be clear, they're trying. But they're not really getting there. It's. It, it, I will say, characters like, like Savage or, or Hogan or um, even, even, you know, characters like Andre seem really tough to replicate. Mm-hmm. Um, like, first of all, on the basis of Anytime a large corporation tries to capture lightning in a bottle a second time, they always, uh, it, from my experience, they always kind of tend to fail at it simply because uh, it's 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 a lot more. It, it it seems like the the sensibilities always try to do the same thing again or like a ramped up version of what worked last time again, um, rather than just you know embrace all the kind of new sensibilities of 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 the new era. Um, and also, and like, I wouldn't put it past WWE to be struggling in the writer's room like that. And on top of that, moving your time slots like that, I'm sure a whole different demographic means a whole mm-hmm. different kind of way you got to deal with things. And they might not have been fully prepared to, to go into that. Yes. Yeah, that, that's ex- the first part is definitely true. And I do and I do have words to talk about their attempt at doing Hulk Hogan again. Oh. But but uh, they try a few people in this era and it's not until they kind of progress to being like Stone Cold Steve because we've gotten to the attitude era now. Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock are dramatically different than Hulk Hogan and what do you know and they fit closer to the sensibilities of the contemporary audience of the time. And what do you know, it works a lot better than trying to do Hulk Hogan's thing, which even Hulk Hogan's thing was very suited for the 80, for the, for the 80, for the culture of the 1980s. Yeah. And and also you, 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 you use Hulk that much for that long. And then he kind of, and then he kind of like slowly peters out or whatever. Um, You don't, you don't want to just try to like, just kind of do a little bit of necromancy on that. I, I, it sounds like it would feel stale after a point. Yeah, like, like Pete, like, I'll talk more about this when we get eventually talk about Hulk Hogan. As I want to do, as I want to do his ter- heel turn into the NWO and all that in WCW at some point, and that's when I'll talk more about it. But it should be understood that Hulk Hogan first won the WWF Championship in 1983. The last time he won the WWF Championship was 1993. A whole decade of him basically doing the same thing, the same character overall. And he, it avoided being stale as much because WWE TV at the time didn't have him on TV every week. It was like a premium to get to Hulk Hogan. So that helped, but even then, you know, 10 years of doing this. Mm Mm-hmm. 
It starts people, to get away from people were ready. And so people were also not super into, what if you were Hulk Hogan again? Yeah. Di- Diet Hulk Hogan. A little Diet- Hulk Hogan as a treat. As a treat. Obviously, of course, the new generation also had a lot of personal strifes for WWE and that, you know, this is the steroid trial dominates a lot of 93 and 94 for Vince McMahon in his personal life. So you can bet he's 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 a little distracted <laughs> when mm. it comes to the creative department. Uh, WCW launches Monday Nitro in 1995 and that and they have major primetime wrestling competition for the first time ever. Mm hmm. And so there's a and and W and to be and this point of period this is this kind of got so bad that WWE at least they say so of course you, WWE has definitely embellished stories before so you kind of take this with a minor grain of salt but I at least believe it to be true that they claim that they almost went out of business in the mid 90s because of how bad they were doing before they figured themselves out mm-hmm. and so. I can so see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's it's very believable when you like look at the numbers of what they were doing at the time, and you just watch the show, and you see like this is the best they've got. Like, yeah, know what? Then maybe they did almost go out. And and show. also considering how expensive it probably was to you know put on that show as much as they do, and with all yes. the kind of production value that goes into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's it's a hundred percent believable whether it's true or not. It's very believable that like oh yeah they were they were on their deathbed here. Especially when WCW Nitro started, and and Nitro before WWE ever did, very much picked up on the kind of contemporary '90s culture that they tapped into that well before the Attitude Era started. So, like, they got a leg up. You know, I'm starting to notice a pattern with some of WWE's competitors, which is um doing 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 what WWE is trying to do, but better. Uh, and, and, and basically forcing WWE to panic until it gets the memo. You know, <laughs> I will say that that's fit for the 90s. The 80s is kind of the opposite, where um, WWE was kind of ahead of the curve on what it takes to be a nationally successful wrestling company in the 80s, and everybody else tried to catch up to them. But That's true. But you know, definitely the '90s. That's definitely a, a good approximation of it, is everybody figured it out before WWE, and then they figured it out. But they were a, and they were able to weather uh, weather the storm, so to speak. After mm-hmm. they got on that, they got on the same page. Yeah. So let's talk about the actual storylines going on in 1994. Um, this I forgot to mention that this episode, it, the episode we're watching, is May 30th, 1994, and for some reason. I watched all 10 episodes of Monday Night Raw f- before this from the e- basically from the first episode after WrestleMania 10 in March to now. So I've watched 2 months of new generation era TV into my brain. Isn't it gone into my brain? Mm-hmm. Oh it's boy. Great. It's great. Oh, I mean God. to be fair, I feel like it's so much easier to get through in a binge watch. I basically was able to binge watch it and I'm like it's a lot more tolerable that way. <laughs> as as opposed to spreading it out over so long that, that it, it feels like you have to like invest as opposed to like having to watch if i had to watch what i watched on a week-to-week basis i would have hated it yeah fair you know binge watch i'm able to just like power through the bad stuff the worst there there stuff. there is there is a certain power to binge watching that can help smooth over uh smooth smooth over some some chunks like that so hey yeah. at least it was a little more bearable mm-hmm. 
And to be clear, as much as I'm ra- as I spend a lot of time ragging on the new generation, certain aspects of it were quite good. And so I'll start with that. One of the good stuff is the WWF title scene right now. Uh, the champion right now is Bret Hart. <clears throat> we've seen hey. him. A couple, we've kind of seen him at all three stages of his career at this point. Is you know we've seen him when he was a tag team in the eighties when he was mainly tag teaming with the, with his gym with his uh, bro, with uh, Jim Neidhart as part of the um, as part of the Hart Foundation, and then we've seen him in the late nineties when he does his evolution into being like an anti-American heel that actor works really well. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the middle portion where he is a a kind of good. He is a he is very much a, a good guy, babyface. Um, he kind of he's he he um he kind of goes with this very much like he is the best is he is the best wrestler. He is a hard worker. He is a he will take on all comers as the champion. Kind of a good guy. Oh, I wonder who that sounds like. <laughs> and you know he's he's kind of a. He's he, he's very, very Bret Hart was very much an anchor to kind of keep keep the WWF afloat. In yeah, a from, from, from what you from what you said of him, he definitely sounds like an MVP, um, which makes something like the Montreal Screwjob all the more heartbreaking. It it does, doesn't it? But yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll get we'll touch on some of his uh, some of the other parts of it. But basically, his role in this from this period of time generally goes: Vince McMahon tries to make a new Hulk Hogan. It doesn't work, so he defaults to Bret Hart while he thinks of something, some other way to make a new Hulk Hogan. Okay. Sure. Like, Bret Hart is never the first choice, but he always is the one that works. He's the steady, dependable one that, that's keeping us a-going. And, 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 and funny enough, through all that, he becomes a bit of a rising star. Yeah, because the fan the fans like Bret Hart just fine. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, he doesn't have the same. He doesn't. He doesn't have the same kind of uh, crossover appeal and charisma that Hulk Hogan has. Uh, admittedly, very few wrestlers do. But it's not like the fans were like, "Ah, fuck Bret Hart." <laughs> no, he was gifted in ring and 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 rightfully and the, recognized yeah, and, for that. And the, yeah, and the fans respected him for that. Mm-hmm. So right now he's kind of getting a challenge from two sides in that um, on one hand, you, he has uh, Diesel. He has Big Daddy Cool Diesel and Shawn Michaels. So Shawn Michaels, I don't need to explain to you who that is. No, no, basically, you don't. Basically, he's the same thing as he was in 97, to be fair. He got yeah, ra- wow, <laughs> what a shock. He got raunchier. In the late '90s, but the same, but the essence of his of his character is basically the same as it is in '94. <laughs> so right now, he and his bodyguard, uh, as I just mentioned, Diesel, he's oh. one of he's he's one of those guys that Vince McMahon wanted to be the next Hulk Hogan. That's because he's almost seven foot tall and he wears leather. <laughs> and you make him Shawn Michaels' bodyguard. It was his kind of. It was his kind of intro. It was kind of his his like path to being to the top. At one point, he will betray Sean. I think Sean Michaels betrays him. I don't remember. Yeah, that sounds a bit more. That's a, that sounds a bit more like it. But they break. But they break up eventually. But right now, they're working together, and they're kind of running this almost like, as long as we both have the gold collectively, it's fine. Because right now, Diesel is the Intercontinental Champion. Uh, he just beat Razor Ramon for it. I'll explain Razor Ramon in a second. 
<laughs> um, so he's the number two champion, but he also wants the WWF championship. And in fact, at the next pay-per-view, King of the Ring, he will challenge Bret Hart for the WWF title. So we're so with two title diesel, two belt diesel is on but, his potential. But as 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 impressive as it is, I'm assuming there's a reason I haven't heard of Diesel ever. To be fair, you might have heard more of him by his real name, Kevin Nash. Oh, I've heard that name before. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know precisely, but I've heard that name before. Diesel. It was very much another one of the failed. He. I mean, he got. He became popular enough, but he was another. He was definitely another failed Hulk Hogan experiment. Mm-hmm. Attempted Hulk Hogan, especially because as much as he came was Big Daddy Cool. Once he became the good guy, squeaky clean baby face, he well, he didn't seem so cool anymore. But that's for another time to talk mm. about Diesel and where that went wrong. Yeah. So he's challenging Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels for this for the current point in time seems okay with that. Like for as much like for right now, he seems pretty okay with, well, if Diesel has both belts, that's fine. If if I don't have any tie any gold right now. That seems out of character for Shawn Michaels. It definitely does seem kind of sketch that he's kind that he's okay with like yeah. Diesel theoretically be, being both singles. I am immediately right sus of that. Like, sure, it's early Shawn Michaels, so maybe, but I'm sus. I'm real sus already. Yeah, and so Brett has to deal with that aspect of it. That Brett and Diesel are like, "Hey, man, we want your title." <laughs> On the other hand, he has to deal with his own flesh and blood. Owen Hart wants the gold. Wants the gold. Uh, oh, oh no, because brother! Owen, infighting. It is because Owen Hart. Uh, he turned heel on Bret Hart. Uh, late ninety three, early ninety four. Basically, it was born out of this. Owen Hart felt was felt jealous, as if and, and neglected, as like he felt like they people treat brett better than they treat me and i don't like it okay he's so at wrestlemania he tried to prove he decided he was going to prove that he was the better brett hart brother to and wrestle brett in a fantastic match and owen hart won oh shit but the same night brett hart had another chance had a match for the wwf championship and won so now so now, oh, I'll explain that whole thing later with some of the other players involved in that whole thing. But, so Bret Hart's the champion, and Owen Hart's like, what the fuck? I beat Bret! Yeah, by transitive property. I should be the champion! Yeah, exactly. So he he's coming for Bret, and, and down the line, he'll get his shot too. So Brett's right now taking seeing challengers from multiple sides, and that's also, and this is kind of the best part of the show because everybody involved is pretty talented as a wrestler, and they're not terrible as characters either. So it's like, oh yeah, this is neat. I'm interested to seeing where all this is going. Yeah, no, that sounds like a that sounds like an interesting uh, plot line. Actually, I'm I'm surprised that 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 that's a storyline that intrigues me because like on paper it sounds like it would be it would be kind of kind of thin but no actually that sounds that sounds that sounds like a pretty a pretty fun one if they if they pull it off correctly Mm -hmm. all right uh the number two thing i guess to talk about it would be i I feel like i should talk about the king of the ring tournament which also will let me talk about a bunch of other plot lines 
Okay. So the King of the Ring tournament was a gimmick that WWE had from 1990, as in terms of a pay-per-view from night for most of the 90s. And it was basically a one-night tournament. And the winner would be crowned the King of the Ring. And what that means kind of depends on the year. Some years it would kind of be like a, you get a WWE championship match. Some years it meant that you'd now go around wearing a crown and a robe and calling yourself a king. Oh, no. And oh, yes, no. If you think that sounds, oh, if you think that sounds no. kind of stupid? No, it it's is. not that it sounds stupid. It sounds familiar. Oh, God damn it. Do we have to deal with more Lawler tonight? Oh, 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 uh, we do. Oh, God. But that's, uh, that's, but that's separate. Wait, that's separate this. from King of the Ring? No, Jerry Lawler never won King of the Ring. Wait, even though he's the king and he wears a crown and a robe? Yeah. No, that, that's a, he's a self-appointed king. I'll have you know. He never oh. beat anyone for that jury for that. He never beat anyone in a wrestling match for that for that moniker. Of course he did. Okay. Though I, though Last year's winner was Bret Hart, and he did feud with Bret Hart over the who could be called the king. <laughs> wow. Don't worry. What a this, great character. Don't worry. Jerry Lawler's got a whole other thing going on Jesus right now. But Dang. to the King of the Ring tournament. All right. Tonight is the final qualifier for the tournament. Um, the other seven have already happened, and uh, tonight is number eight. So I'll go over the ones that have already happened. And I'll use that as an excuse to talk about basically what's going on in the mid-card. Because basically that's all that's going on in the mid-card. <laughs> so the first King of the Ring qualifier. Ah, oh, shit. I guess we already have to talk about this. So the character that won in, in the qualifier is named Erwin R. Scheister. A.K.A. I.R.S. I want you get one guess as to what you think the core of this character is about. Please don't tell me he's Jewish. No. Oh, he actually okay. isn't coded Jewish in any way. Oh, yay. Okay. He's I mean obsessed with taxes. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right. I mean, you could, you could you could make an argument that uh the character is a as anti-Semitic in that in that, you know, if you're trying to, win, I, I thought about how to, how to, my thoughts on this, and I kind of came to the conclusion is I don't think they wrote the character anti, with in mind to be anti-Semitic. I think what they did is they wanted to write a character that is obsessed with taxes, and the way that formulates in a super basic way kind of ends up being follow, playing along with some anti-Semitic stereotypes, uh, like God. the name. <laughs> Nine, yeah. Well, that's why I was thinking. I was like, Erwin R. Scheister. Right. Oh, Jesus. But like the emphasis isn't the fact how Jewish that sounds. It's it's the it's the pun of the okay. IRS. That sure. that's the point you're supposed to take away from it. But basically, yeah, he's obsessed with taxes. He's always going on about how everyone are, is a tax cheat. What? Had to hear the hilarious promo uh where he taught he says that you know, he bring, he brings up that five percent of the people in America make over a hundred thousand dollars, but they pay thirty five percent of the taxes, and so and so you people shouldn't should pay taxes more and shouldn't make ever, shouldn't make them have an unfair burden. 
Dude named IRS doesn't understand progressive taxation. Ah! Oh, God, I hate it already. A. So, before this, uh, before April 15th, uh, he mostly went being like, hey, you gotta fire your taxes by April 15th. That's it. That's what he said on TV, the whole thing. But then after that, they were like, fuck, we need him to do, be able to, he, we need him to be doing something else. So he got in a feud with a wrestler called Tatanka. <laughs> Tatanka is a Native American. That's it. That's the gimmick. <laughs> and this is actually pretty funny in how stupid it is. He gets in a feud with Tatanka because Chief J. Strongbow, another Native American character from the 70s in WWF, kind of a multi-generational thing here. He Naturally. Gets- he gifted Tatanka a headdress, and IRS destroyed the headdress because, and I quote, there was no, they didn't pay a gift tax on it. <laughs> so they, gotta, they gotta get rid of the headdress because they didn't pay a gift tax. What the fuck? What? What? This is like this is like the this reads like the fucking like college humor skit the 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 really old one the the what each party thinks it would be like if the other side won and like the what Republicans think it would be like if Democrats won like you gotta pay you you gotta pay your your wrong answer tax or something like mm-hmm. just like everything's a tax all taxes all the time just taxes <laughs> only taxes only taxes. IRS as a character, only yeah. taxes. Except for yeah, death and taxes and 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 Erwin R. Scheister, the three inevitabilities of life. Yeah. So that's what IRS is up to. Uh, <laughs> and, but he beat and he and Tatanka is in the qualifying match tonight. Yeah, oh, okay. this episode. Uh but IRS to get into the King of the Ring, he beat Scott Steiner. Oh, uh, that's a name that David should be familiar with because he knows memes. I uh, yes, yes. But this is well before Scott Steiner was a was, get, figured out steroids. His supremacy as a genetic freak who's not normal. Indeed, this is well before that. Uh, this, this is when he's still in a tag team with his brother Rick, where their thing is: we went to Michigan, we went to the University of Michigan, and we also were going to kick the shit out of you. Oh, oh God! Oh, fucking fuck! I mean, the Steiners, the Steiners, uh, their characters are a little thin, but as wrestlers, <laughs> they're among they're kind of some of the best. There were two of the best wrestlers WWE had going at this point in time, especially in the tag team division. So it's just cracking me up that they're that they're U of M alum who are acting exactly like you would think U of M alum would act. <laughs> for 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 the context for our audience, I live in Michigan. Uh, but I'm a bit of a turncoat, and I and I and I root for I root for Ohio State, and and U of M is uh, U of M people can be fucking obnoxious. So that's actually that's actually a pretty accurate character. Good job on them mm-hmm. for doing their research. Woohoo! Yeah. And so uh, the next King of the Ring match is Razor Ramon. Now I'm going to talk about him. Uh, Razor Ramon is Scott Hall, and who playing. Tone uh, playing um uh, Scarface. I'm not kidding. He's he's doing a bad Cuban accent around. He's like, "Hey yo, I'm the bad guy. 
I can't even do a razor. Jesus. Ramon. He's doing an obnoxiously bad Cuban accent. And like, he is again, one of the better wrestlers going on around here at this point, And one of the more popular wrestlers, but holy moly. So, <laughs> so, so we're, 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 we're just hitting all the bullseyes for problematic. Cool. 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 Hey, uh, the kind of the best, one of my favorite part about razor Ramon is the supposed story behind it in that according to Scott Hall, he pitches Vince McMahon this character by doing the accent. Then supposedly Vince McMahon has never seen the movie Scarface, and so he didn't know what he Scott Hall was referencing, and he just thought Scott Hall just came up with like Cuban drug deal, implied Cuban drug dealer, all on his own. <laughs> it was like this is brilliant. What the? F of course, of course. Jesus Christ, the bubble that Vince McMahon exists in. Yeah. Uh, so who did Razor Ramon was Intercontinental Champion? He beat Shawn Michaels for it at WrestleMania, and then Diesel beat him for it a couple weeks back. So, all right, cool, cool, cool. Love, love me some Shawn Michaels ass getting kicked. Yeah. And so, and Razor Ramon kind of stays in a perpet. Unfortunately, kind of despite the fact that he's really good and really popular, he stays in a perpetual Intercontinental Championship level because essentially, in, in, because essentially, Scott Hall is has major alcoholism problems, and he could never really be trusted to be the top champion. Oh, <laughs> buddy. Oh, that's sad. Oh, yeah. It is pretty sad. So who did Razor Ramon beat to get in the King of the Ring? Quang. Quang is Quang. K-W-A-N-G. Uh, his character is that he is a martial artist. And uh, if you want to know, that name is Sal is uh, Korean. Which is why it's super appropriate that Quang is played by a Puerto Rican man in a mask. Ah, girl, oh God, it's great. Jesus. Why, why? You know, say same thing. Puerto Rico, yeah. Korea, basically the same. It's fine. He's in a mask. It's fine. He's in a mask. Viewers, viewers, help! I'm being tortured. Please, please save me. Welcome to the new generation of of uh, characters here. <laughs> number three mabel so mabel is part of men on a mission men on a mission mabel mo and oscar do you get it do you, do you get how their name the initial their initials also are the same initials as men on a mission it spells mom it spells mom do you get it <laughs> so they're basically like dorky 90s rap like that's that's a good way to put that out like they have they unironically are like whoop there it is and I and I can't say that they've ever said it but it feels like they would say we're men on a mission and we're here to say that that yeah I mean if you're going for dorky '90s rapper yeah yeah that sounds about right yeah they are and Mabel's thing is that he's like 500 pounds legit. Oh, 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 gee, wait, is this, is this the guy who would, like, sit on people and, like, fuck them up? No, that's another 500-pound wrestler that's also here that we'll talk about later. Oh, hey. <laughs> so, he beats Pierre of the Quebecers, who are your standard evil foreigners, but they're French Canadians from it's Quebec. Sure. Look, 
look, man, I would not put it past '90s Americana to to really ha- to really hate them. Some some pompous French Canadia. Yeah, they're kind of on their way out because uh, Jacques Rougeau, I believe he's not Pierre. I think he's the other one that's not Pierre, is quit the company. So, like, they're on their way out. But they were tag team champions until about two weeks ago in Universe. Nice. I'll, I'll get to the tag team champions thing after we're done with King of the Ring. So then the next King of the Ring qualifier is Bam, was Bam Bam Bigelow, whose thing is he, he's a big, mean guy. He's kind of in the same mold as King Kong Bundy, if that helps you visualize. Okay, I mean, sure, the the standard issue. Yeah, and he beat Sparky Plug. Sparky Plug is a race car driver. That's oh, his character. Fuck. Oh, oh, Jesus. Oh, Christ, these guys. Oh, yes, we're welcome. in that era. We are in the era where occupations as gimmicks. God, yep. Not not in King of the Ring, but someone who I've had to watch his debut videos of for weeks is Duke the Dumpster Drozy. He's a trash man. <laughs> does, does he throw a trash can in the ring and start no. eating garbage? No, he doesn't eat the garbage, but he does carry a trash can to the ring. Boo! Coward! <laughs> We're in a great era. So, the next King of the Ring qualifying match was Jeff Jarrett. J-E-F-F-J-A-R-R-E-T-T. Jeff Jarrett. His thing is, he's a country singer. And he thinks he's good at it. But he's not. I see I see everybody missed their honky-tonk man. Yeah, this this is a little bit of a new a, a next next a new next level honky tonk man. Now that I think about it, Jesus, no. And he beat Lex Luger. Let's talk about Lex Luger because remember how I mentioned not Hulk Hogan. Meet Lex Luger. Oh, so Lex cool. Luger. So Lex Luger came into the WWF. He he did wrestle in uh not he wrestled in um. Uh, WCW and the NWA for some time before he came to the WWF. And Vince McMahon at first used him as a as a figurehead for his newest creative venture, business venture, the World Bodybuilding Federation. Okay. The fact that he did that in the early 90s, around the same time as the steroid trial was about to hit. hit oh. Really Oh, but basically, oh. but basically that failed because like wrestling fans don't care that much about about muscled up dudes, <laughs> and bodybuilding fans don't want the stupid cartoony theatrics that Vince McMahon would bring to, brought to bodybuilding. Ooh, it's uh, it's 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 great to see Vince McMahon keeping up with the times as it always. Appealed to nobody. <laughs> yeah. And, Seriously, and it failed. But Lex Luger was kept around because you know he's not a terror. He's not great. He's not a great wrestler, but he's also not terrible. So you know, might as well use him. Sure. And they eventually turned him babyface. He was a he. He was a a narcissistic heel. But they turned him babyface to try to make him into the new Hulk Hogan. And he became made in the USA, Lex Luger. And 
he, his big face turn was very reminiscent of the Andre, the Renault Hulk Hogan body slamming Andre. They kind of tried to do the exact same thing with Lex Luger, where he was the one to pick up and body slam Yokozuna, which I guess I have to explain Yokozuna. Yokozuna is the 500-pound man that sits on people. <laughs> You mentioned earlier and his thing and he was he was supposedly a great sumo wrestler from japan note he's samoan he's from the same samoan wrestling family as most samoan wrestlers in wwe oh sika yeah he, he's related to sika believe they're cousins <laughs> but yokozuna was the wwf champion believe it or not and yoke but and no one had ever been able to pick him up and slam him He'd been knocked off his feet a couple of times, but no one had been able to lift the mighty Yokozuna until mm -hmm. Lex Luger. And so he did the whole, he, he body slammed the giant, blah, blah, blah. He got, sure. a, he got a tour bus, the Lex Express, touring around the nation, building hype for his inevitable WWF championship match with Yokozuna. And... Um, the fans weren't super into it, and they decided. And WWF chickened out and didn't let, let Lex Luger beat Yokozuna. Really? Yeah, they kind of chickened out at the end, and then they had him win by countout, which does not win you the title. Uh. And then he celebrated as if he won the title, like he beats Yokozuna by countout. So he's not the WWF champion. And balloons and are coming down. And confetti is raining. And the baby faces lift Yoko Lex Luger on their shoulders in victory. But it's like, he, he didn't win the championship. That's, uh, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a whole thing. Uh-huh. But yeah, he did get another championship match with Yokozuna. And he also lost that one. Naturally. And so now he's and he was so he's a little directionless right now because they set up a feud with him um, after WrestleMania with a wrestler named Mr. Perfect, whose gimmick is he's he's perfect. <laughs> like sure. he's, a, he's a perfect wrestler, but then they also filmed vignettes of him like he threw a touchdown pass to himself and he bowled a three hundred and he's hit and he, he's shooting three pointers and he never misses that kind of stuff. Uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> But but uh, Mr. Perfects had 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 um uh, had uh yeah, sustained back issues over the course of his career. So like by the time it came to like have him having a match with Perfect, Perfect was too injured. Oh oh no oh that's a that's a real shame for Mr. Perfect. Hey, oof. So now he's in a feud with with Crush. Uh, <laughs> Crush is in the other King of the Ring qualifying match tonight. So, Crush is Hawaiian. Uh, I believe his original name was Kona Crush. And he sounds Hawaiian. <laughs> he, he uses bra a lot. But he was a babyface and boring. And then they turned him heel on, and he became a bad guy. <laughs> and people still don't really care. <laughs> but... <laughs> But he's feuding with Lex Luger now for reasons. I, I don't know. Okay. It's giving him something both... Whatever. Crush can, can... We can skip... I'd love us if we could skip ahead in the timeline to when Crush joins the motorcycle, the all-white motorcycle gang. Because oh, God. Yay. He, he's he part was, of the race he war. Was, he was part of the gang war, yes. 
but that's years away. Yeah, now he's Warp still Warp. now he's still a weirdo Hawaiian dude that no one really cares about. <laughs> Serves up, dude. The, the sixth King of the Ring match is Owen Hart. I've already explained Owen Hart now. Yes. And he beat Doink the Clown. So a jobber. Actually, no. Doink is not a jobber. He is a prominent character for this entire era. <gasps> I beg a, your pardon? Doink the Clown. He is a wrestling clown. Originally, he was a heel where he wants to make the kids cry. And he was actually not that terrible. But don't worry. They turned him babyface, gave him Dink, who was a little person wrestler, as his sidekick. And it became terrible. <laughs> Doink and Dink. I, I wish our audience could see how agape my mouth is hearing this. What? He's Doink is technically feuding with Jeff Jarrett right now over nothing, I guess. I, Jeff, I think Doink fucked with him once as part of a practical joke, and now Jeff is mad. <laughs> That's kind of how most Doink feuds go, is that he does a practical joke on the heels. The heels are like, hey, I don't appreciate this practical joke. I'm going to beat you up now. Sure. It's sad. That's that's that that's weird. As I what? said, when he was a heel and he was kind of like this psychotic act, like he's kind of like not the Joker level of evil, but still kind of an evil clown. He was actually pretty entertaining, but then they <sighs> just, but then they make him a generic bat good guy clown, goofy clown, prominent reformed clown. Did you? <sighs> What? <laughs> All right. The last qualifier that we've done is the one, two, three kid. Uh, so the kid, one, two, three kid was a jobber who just, who was known as the kid. And then he beat a shot. Then in a shock win, he beat Razor Ramon on raw once. And that's what the one, two, three stuck because he beat Razor Ramon one, two, three. What the It was actually kind of, it was actually kind of cool to see like a jobber get a win over someone so prominent. That is that is cool. That is cool. Yeah, I don't love the name because it's like what, but he's current. He's kind of like a you know underdog, always never gives up kind. Got a lot of heart, kind of a baby face. Huh? Huh? Got a lot of heart. Ah! But not that kind of heart. And he beat Adam Bomb. Adam, A-D-A-M, bomb. And his gimmick is kind of what you might expect it to be, in that they. Make a lot of nuclear radiation jokes. Sure. Honestly, compared with some of the... No pun intended. Some of the clowns we have on this list. That one seems pretty tame. Alright. That took longer than I was hoping for. So let's speed round through the rest anyway. Alright, I'll, 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 I will I will keep my mouth shut for this part. No, it's fine. Uh, so the tag team champ. Let's talk about the tag team championships. Uh, I've mentioned in passing most of the tag teams that existed at this point. So the current champions are the Head Shrinkers. Yes, they are Samoan savages. Yes, they are. Sika is with. Actually, I think Appa is with them, not Sika. <laughs> they were heels, but now they're kind. They turned babyface to fight the Quebecers. So, but now they're. Essentially, baby faces. They're feuding with Yokozuna and Crush now because they need a heel team to fight. Um, and Yokozuna and Crush are both managed by Mr. Fuji, 
and uh, oh. and Jim Cornette, who's a whole, who's a Southern wrestling legend of a manager. Mm-hmm. And so there's that. Uh, the women's championship. Let's talk about that. In that they've had one segment in ten weeks of shows. I don't even think I don't even think she's on this episode. Yeah, here's a new one for you. Instead of women being written terribly, they're now written terribly, but also not ever written on the show at all. <laughs> there you go. That's a whole new level for Jesus. you. Jesus. You really did just pick this episode to 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 to, to torture me, didn't you? <laughs> this is a heck of a time, David. A heck uh, of a time. Uh, okay. So the champion is Alundra Blaze. She's kind of an all-American, you know, good guy baby face. And she's actually really good. I'm going to make this clear. The, the women's wrestlers that they had at this point in time were very talented wrestlers. They just never got on TV. Wow. Wonder why that sounds familiar. <laughs> and so she's she's in a feud with Luna Vachon, who's... Um, who is Bam Bam? Who's normally Bam Bam Bigelow's manager, but she's also a wrestler on occasion. And so, basically, their feud is: I want the belt. I want championship. You have it. But as I as I casually mentioned to David while I was watching this episode, I did take note of the fact that, haha, your good guy babyface does the does a misgendering kind of a gag because Luna Vachon, like, basically, kind of I, as I, I think I likened her to like. She kind of looks like she came out of a Mad Max movie. And so like she like has part of her head shaved and she's got like this got like scary looking eye makeup on. And so basic and she actually talks like this. <laughs> and so because she's not conventionally feminine or conventionally attractive, they Alundra Blaze does the well if you are a woman, you seem to forget sometimes. <laughs> Jesus. Of oh, 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 Great good times. Good times. Oh. But again, that and then they have they do one across ten weeks of Monday Night Raw and WWF superstars. There have been two, two appearances by the women's champion. So it's super unimportant. Uh Jerry Lawler. Let's talk about what Jerry Lawler's doing. Right now, Jerry Lawler is hosting a weekly talk show segment. There's one on this episode where he basically just shows up to do some stand-up comedy for a hot sec, and then he interv- and then he ah, and then he interviews both wrestlers in character like you'd expect him to. Okay, he's great, but he's also currently feuding with Rowdy Roddy Piper, who oh yeah yeah you've probably heard of him. Uh, yeah. That name does sound familiar, yeah. Yeah, he's 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 one of the legendary heel characters of, of the 1980s, one of one of Hulk Hogan's greatest rivals. Oh, and yeah. they're bringing him back in because God, we need some star power right now. Oh, yeah, sure. And like it's basically a feud over Jerry Lawler thinks his talk show is better than Roddy Piper's talk show was, which he had the Piper's Pit. He Roddy Piper had the kind of the OG talk show segment and the best one. In, uh, sh- in wrestling and this is so important to roddy piper he has not appeared on tv yet he's just done 
He's sending like pre-taped videos of him talking shit. Woof. He's never bothered to show up in person to deal with Jerry. Oh, woof. It's great. They're going to have a match on pay-per-view that I've already watched. Yeah. Uh, and then the last thing to talk about is The Undertaker. because And Ted DiBiase. I guess they're both kind of connected here. So... The Undertaker has been currently on hiatus since the Royal Rumble 1994 when he had a casket match against Yokozuna and Undertaker lost after like 10 guys showed up to make sure that Undertaker would go in the casket. And he's been off TV since. He's been disappearing. But in the last few weeks, we have gotten these videos of people of like under of people saying they saw the undertaker and it's a whole lot of dumb gags like he went into a this guy who runs a donut shop says that the undertaker came in and ordered six coffin shaped donuts or this dude claiming that he saw the undertaker sit up in a sit up in a uh, in a funeral like he was in the art uh, in the um what's the name of the main car in a funeral procession oh the the oh I know this. The the her the hearse. The hearse. Yeah, he he saw the Undertaker sit up in the hearse at the on a funeral procession, okay. and a guy or a guy who runs a sub shop, and the Undertaker ordered a six foot long sub. Do you get it? Because six feet under. Yeah. Same, same joke. These dudes were at a construction site, and they dug a six foot a six foot deep ditch, and the Undertaker was in it. Yeah. <laughs> God. Doing top-notch comedy here, folks. But, but they're, they're doing these bits, and the idea, they're hinting that The Undertaker is back. Meanwhile, you have Ted DiBiase, the million-dollar man, throwing his money around some more. Always. Right. He, 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 and he's claiming that he only he has the resources to bring The Undertaker back. And this is kind of a neat little callback to his Undertaker's debut. Because when he debuted in the company, he did that as a tag team partner of Ted DiBiase's. Hmm. It was a one-time alliance and everything. But like in kayfabe, the Ted DiBiase is why the Undertaker is in the WWF. So this is an inter- this is kind of a, a neat little continuity callback to that when he's like the Undertaker has been missing, and he's like, and now DiBiase's like, I can bring him back. Yeah. Oh. oh Just like cool. I brought him in before. Okay, that's fair. So yeah, we oh, we did kind of speed round that. I, I covered like four storylines in like eight minutes. Hmm. But yeah, that is everything. That is 1994 in a nutshell. Nice, nice. It's that's great. that's a lot. that's a lot. It is a lot, and most of it's not going to be relative to this episode. Trust me, because <laughs> because again, Raw is only an hour long, so a lot of so storylines don't develop don't generally develop week to week. <laughs> Like it's kind of, it's it's very much like a some story some weeks like storyline X Y Z moves forward and then some weeks storylines A B C move forward. That's part of why I had so much to talk about this because there's a lot of storylines because they don't all progress on a same weekly on a weekly basis. <laughs> so they're all still like happening. <laughs> okay, I can understand that 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 they they, they do tend to like their uh their uh everything going on at once. Uh, also. Also, I forgot to mention, welcome to Jobber Squashes. We have not really gotten to talk about that as a concept, but uh, I mean, I've mentioned it that like before the Attitude Era, you know, generally WWF TV would be like a named guy versus a jobber. Yeah. And Raw was like 
guys, what if we did like one match a week? Maybe two if we're frisky, where it's <laughs> two named guys wrestling each other. Yeah. So like the marquee match, in this case, it's Crush versus Tatanka in the King of the Ring qualifier would happen. And then other than that, it's just jobber squash matches all the way out. <laughs> sure. So yeah. That is a quick and that is a not as quick not that quick, but you know, I'm happy enough with how long that took. Summary of nineteen ninety-four. Yeah, okay. See you guys in the back half. And we're back. Uh, you know, I, 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 I am willing to admit fault. <laughs> uh, I, I admit fault to, to picking this episode. Uh, I mean, I kind of get the feeling that no matter what you pick from this era, it's going to be a little mediocre. You know what? That's fair. And I I maintain that the reason I picked this episode will make sense by the time we're done in here, in, in this era. I'm sure. No, I, but, I trust you there. But yikesy! This episode was even less interesting than most of the Raws I've watched up this week. Like, okay, you remember the, the episode we did that had just the, the Hulk Hogan and just the Randy Savage match? And we were talking about how boring it was and how nothing it was and how yes. tiny it was. Or remember the 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 uh, uh, Madison Square Garden match? We were like, wow, that was really uneventful for being a giant fucking Madison Square Garden event. This I was somehow that. worse. This was like <laughs> nothing. It was nothing. It was just fucking nothing. The yeah. most fun thing. The, I don't want to say this i really hate to say this i'm like oh my choke god on i know what you're the most fun part about this was the fucking king's court segment oh god jerry god lawler stands as the highlight of 1994 <laughs> this that it was that was actually funny and entertaining and we got to see like <laughs> we got to see <laughs> We got to see Owen Hart get dropped by Bret Hart. By, oh, Bret, pardon, sorry, Bret Hart dropped by Shawn Michael and Diesel, and then get curb stopped by by the two of them plus Lawler. And then we saw eight refs pile into the ring to break up the fight. At least eight refs. All of the refs. So many refs. What was that? Um, it was a lot. Um, yeah. So let, let's go with that, to, as, as I guess, because the start, because um, it was basically, you know, Lawler doing doing his stand-up shtick. His un- it was, it was, it was unfunny stand-up. It was. It was pretty tame this week. You know, he didn't, he saved the joke about Roddy Piper wearing a dress because he wears a kilt because he's Scottish. Yeah. He saved that for the end. <laughs> he didn't do that during the King's Court. Love the self-restraint, Jerry. Keep, keep, keep the course. He did stick to. He did. He did because his because Bret Hart was his guest, and he has a long-standing yeah. tradition of making fun of Bret's parents for being old. He does get in some digs there. He called. He called. He said. He said that um his that is uh that Bret's mom was so old that her, that her that when she was a teenager her acne had liver spots. Jesus. 
I, uh, Jerry Lawler as the purveyor of Yo Mama jokes, as much as I hate it, still like isn't as scummy as some of his other some of his no, other. No, but material. I would. I so much prefer the Yo Mama jokes to to his sexist garbage. Yeah, to 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 just blatantly objectifying anything with two legs and a set of boobs. Yep. It's Jesus. It, yeah, no, I actually didn't hate Jerry Lawler in this episode. Mm-hmm. He was an effective heel host, and his segment <sighs> was fun. Ugh, yeah, because then, then Brett shows up, and then Jerry's immediately, like, agging at him about last year. Yeah. Near the ring. And then Brett like sets his title down and, and then Jerry's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> and then he's like gonna fight. And he's like, hey, make way for my real guest. That's not remotely close to Jerry Lawler's voice. Uh my real guest, Diesel and Shawn Michael. Yay. Yeah, they're here. And 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 David mentioned to me that he was not appreciating Shawn Michael's mullet. There are there were a lot of mullets in this. Oh god, there's so so many. Wrestling has always been a real safe haven for mullets. <laughs> I but like there was something about Bret Hart or about Shawn Michaels mullet that was just particularly offensive to me. I think it's just like the poofy curls at the bottom. Mm-hmm. It's just God, he looks like such a such an awful dweeb, and I hate him. <laughs> Although I will say. God, I'm just like swallowing my own my own pride real hard tonight. I also didn't hate Sean Sean Michael in this, mostly because instead of acting like an arrogant shithead in a really like problematic way, he's acting like an arrogant shithead in a really funny way where he's like he's like hyperactively like uh simping for for Diesel and everything that he does like like everything Diesel does, Shawn Michaels like hopping around the ring, imitating it, or like going like yeah, yeah, or like it, there is something funny about him acting as like this stooge almost. That's that's where I like to see my my Shawn Michaels without all that much dignity to him. Hey, um, yeah, that that was so so yeah. Uh, Diesel when he dropped Bret Hart, uh, Shawn Michaels right there like miming along with Diesel's drop of Bret Hart and like dancing like a little fucking imp. Um and yeah, it was fun. That's the highlight of the episode for me. Oh god, yeah. my highlight was once again a talking segment. Although we want to talk about talking segments. <laughs> Todd Pettengill What was that? Alright, I forgot to explain that in the back in the first half. My bad. <laughs> that you know, you know, at, at WWE at this point in time, as a weekly segment of the show, is doing a a pay-per-view report, in this case, King of the Ring. Where basically Todd Pettengill like hypes the pay-per-view card, upcoming pay-per-view, so that to, like convince people to buy to to like call their pay-per-view providers and buy the show. But- and and he just does like not funny stand-up a lot in between him just saying what the matches are. But, like, I wish I could even tell you what the jokes are, but they were so terrible, they've already, like, left my brain. 
and we I cut to like these pre-recorded promos and the whole thing lasts like fucking 10 minutes not they it was like five minutes but like but it felt so long <laughs> it felt so long and this was a 45 minute episode you're wasting a ninth of your runtime on an overlong promo that doesn't have a single goddamn memorable thing about it except we got a dude with a dog talking about how his clearly upper middle class neighborhood is rough yes that was Roddy Piper. That was Roddy Piper. Continuing okay. his 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 shtick of just sending in these pre-taped videos to trash talk Lawler instead of showing up in person. But supposedly that happens next week. But I yeah, I, we're apparently changing know. our tune on that one. Sure. What the fuck? But this has been that's been a thing for like at least four to five episodes of mm-hmm. Roddy Piper sending in a pre-taped thing talking about Jerry Lawler, and it's like yeah. okay, that one was not. That 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 was just like I mean sure, that was that he had a cute dog, fine, but like, why are we wasting so much time? And and the and the the, the other question I had is what the hell is going on like for the live audience at this time? Are they just watching a video feed of that shit, or they just have to like um, sitting? They just like sitting there while they set up for King's Court or something? Like what's going on? They probably they probably were sitting there because I'm trying to think like. I was gonna make a mark about how that isn't that that might not be live, but like they do a live episode every other week and they do that report every single week. So something is happening when they play that tape for the live for the uh, for the live TV broadcast. But I don't know what it is. They were probably setting up for King's Court because wasn't that segment afterward? No, they did the one, two, three kid match, and then oh shit, yeah. So I have no idea what they would have been, what the live audience would have been privy to. Maybe, 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 um, uh, Randy Savage and Vince McMahon riffed on with the audience. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. That's the kind of lie. That's the kind of lie. As, as someone who's been to plenty of WWE uh, live shows where they do TV, that's one of the things they would do. Like uh, when they when there's a commercial break, they would riff. They sometimes they riff with the audience. Okay, that's just to give them something to do. So that might be what they did, but I, I will, won't know. Speaking speaking of the audience, holy shit, was this de- was this a depressing audience? Yeah, you mean how they're like in a warehouse? <laughs> yeah, there's like that's like maybe like a a couple thousand seats. I didn't think that. I I did not think about how much of a hue of how big of a um uh, of um uh, how big of a uh, aesthetic change that would be for you. Because ever because every other era at this point we've seen they're they're kind of they're in arenas yeah and at this point in time they're kind of low on money so they're filming in these, so they're filming in these in these like small arena thing I'm pretty sure it's a center it's not even an arena I'm pretty sure it's a center <laughs> it just it hurts in, in in Poughkeepsie New York I believe this is where this is taped. <laughs> It just hurts to see the WWF slumming like this. Like, fuck, even in, like, the worst, like, not this episodes we've watched, like, even in the worst episodes we've watched prior to this, like, I, I've i taken for granted the, like, aesthetic boost that the arena audience gives. Like, even something as fucking, like, nothing as the Madison Square Garden or the, the like, Saturday Night Live replacement act or whatever. Like, at least they had big audiences that, like, were adding some sort of energy to the proceedings. And, like, 
there is a, still a certain like grandeur and 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 um um what well, ceremony to all of this. Whereas here, it just looks so cheap and it's so sad and it makes it feel even more nothing. Mm-hmm. Like like they're like like they're, like they're making their entrances through a fucking slightly upgraded like uh, uh laser laser tag um laser tag fort door like what yeah and and all the entrances were very low key tonight like the like i didn't even like some of them are normally like that but like as an example, like Tatanka doesn't do shit, and I'm used and I'm and he see usually is a little more energetic when he does entrances, but like Crush, it boringly walks to the ring. Tatanka just walks to the ring. Um, Bret Hart usually just walks to the ring anyway, but like Diesel and Sean don't do anything when they come to the ring. Um, One Two Three Kid doesn't do anything. The Smoking Guns don't do anything. Jeff Jarrett is like the only person who does anything on the way to the ring. Mm-mm. And it, and that doesn't help. <laughs> that like like Jeff Jarrett was like, a, but I, but anyway, to to kind of get back to the audience, I will say, it, as fucking depressing as that audience size is, it if if the, if that riffing is what they were doing during the whatever during whatever the hell that that pay per view recap or whatever was like. It must have been cool for like an audience, a, a tiny audience in the middle of nowhere, New York, um, to uh, to to hear Vince McMahon and fucking Randy Savage riffing together live for them. Yeah, that, I will admit, must have been cool. Why couldn't we have watched that instead? <laughs> because because we're trying to get people to pay to call their pay per view providers and pay. Mm. Fifty nine ninety nine. I would love to see the numbers. King of the Ring pay per view. How many people bought King of the Ring? No, no, like the numbers on like how many people like bought King of the Ring because of those ads. Unfortunately, we may never know. Yeah, no, because like because because if because if 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 that were if that were a if that were a I mean you could pull for it but anyway if that were uh any sort of underperformance numbers wise, if the, if that waste of time of a promo was any sort of underperformance, I'm going to be fucking mad that we didn't get Vince and, and, and Savage riffing instead. Or doing anything, literally or anything, doing literally anything else. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Speaking of, of nothing, I feel is that like, as I mentioned, like, there's only going to be like one important episode match on this episode. And not only is it crush versus Tatanka, two wrestlers who aren't good, who aren't that good. It ends in a double count out. It's just all of the stupid, all of the stupid. Like the match ends when Mr. Fuji attempts to get involved because, as I theorized, I think Chief J. Strongbow, who came out with Tatanka, I think that he was late, or at least later, slower than Fuji thought he would be, because Fuji spends an inordinate amount of time just kind of, like, shaking the rope as if he's gonna get in the ring. But he doesn't do anything, because the the, the idea is that Ch- Strongbow walks over there and chops the shit out of him. 
and stops him. So he does that. And then Crush gets out of the ring to like confront Strongbow. And then Tatanka gets out of the ring to confront Crush. And then they start punching each other outside of the ring. And then the ref counts to 10. And they're both out. But what? Why do that? Why? I don't get that either because the result isn't like they don't like the I like, like the result isn't they restart the match and they and they continue and there's a winner or you know Owen Hart has a has a promo with Todd Pettengill where he's like because because again the idea is that this was for the winner goes to the king of the ring so they're like well shit now there's an empty spot who gets it and Owen Hart was like why should either of them get another chance they they had their chance they both lost. Give let me have a have a have an empty let me have a buy. <laughs> did they did they do that for Owen Hart? No. The response was we're gonna do a rematch next week, but this time it's a lumberjack match. So so the most important episode match of the episode has a nothing finish so that they can do the exact same match again next week. Just with a different gimmick. So that there shouldn't be a count out. Jesus. These people were struggling. And this is Holy goodness. The what the fuck? Like, were you really hurting for content that much that you needed to force a, a, a failed match to, to fucking get your, 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 your your time in next week. Your incredibly short amount of time. What? Yeah, no, it's it was terrible. And the, again, this is the only match of the show with any consequence. It is this is the a plot of this episode because they do this at the beginning of the show, and then Todd and then Todd Pettengill in the reports, and Vince McMahon and and Randy Savage spend the whole episode being like, we got to get Jack President Jack Tunney on the phone to figure out what we're gonna do. And then at the very end of the episode, Todd Pettengill gets a second report to be like, this just in, next week, they're going to have a rematch. You know what? Hot take. I like the anonymous commissioner better than this whole fucking dumb get get the guy on the line to see what to do with this. And, you know, like... I think a lot of uh, it's. I generally appreciate the fact that Jack President Jack Tunney didn't exist as an on-screen character regularly. He was like the guy you knew was there and would come and would show up when he needed to be there, but he wasn't a constant presence. Otherwise, you know, things happened for themselves. But I also, but in this situation, I don't need an entire episode-long arc of like. What's Jack Tony gonna say? Like, why can't he have just showed up right after they did the double count out to be like, here's what we're gonna do? Yeah, seriously. And God, that was our most important match. And then the rest are jobber squashes. And the only yes. one that was fun to watch was the last one, just because just because Jared's so fucking like yeah, Jared Athletic. was laying it in on him. And he I, was I going think, hard. And I think Chris Hamrick, which I cannot believe I remembered his name, was was like kind of weirdly athletic for a jobber in this era. Like at this point in time, like most of these jobbers are really basic wrestlers because, you know, they're, they're jobbers. They don't need yeah. to be like athletically good. 
But he was able to like make it look, make Jarrett's stuff look really dangerous. Oh my god, he looked like he was in fucking pain. I was like actually worried for the guy. Yeah, he no. sold it well. God, that uh, that they they did good shoots, and that's the highlight of the episode is that they were able to competently pull off shoots. Yeah, or I guess, or I guess, or I guess, more convincing work in this case. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's very convincing work. Not there, there. He was, he was fine, but he was just very convincing. Yeah. The other two matches are you know, the other two jobber squashes. You get the one, two, three kid, which is, um, which was fine. You know, kid's very athletic, but he, but, you know, George South isn't. <laughs> yeah. George South J discount Joe Exotico for the people who are trying to imagine what these idiots look like. Yeah. Like no, yeah, no, no. You, 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 you put you help me make concrete a, a like thought I had while watching that is that is that South looked like he was actively kind of like dragging down one two three kids style. Yeah, be like yeah, because most of the jobbers at this point in time are pretty. They're super basic wrestlers. They're competent, of course, but very very basic because that's you know their job. They're they're not. They're the ones who aren't supposed to be get the get the spotlight, so they don't need to do anything impressive. But that's kind of an issue when you get someone like the one two three kid who's very exciting and flashy. But you know, and this happens in non jobber matches too. But when only one wrestler is is flashy, generally speaking, the exciting flashy wrestler has to slow down for the sake of the other guy. You can Which only is... you can only go as fast as your slowest wrestler. You might say. Which I feel like is a waste of your resources, because I, like, and I'm not a writing, a wrestling writer by any means, but I feel like there are ways you could have matches like that where instead of just, like, dragging down the, the, the better fighter is that you have, like, more competent ways to build around the, the, the less athletic whomever. Like, God, again, I'm saying all these things mm -hmm. in this episode that I can't fucking believe I'm saying. <laughs> but, like, actually, I think I complimented. I don't know. But, like, a much better example of this is the is the, the Hulk Hogan and Andre match. Where, like, for as much as it was kind of obvious how they were building around Andre, it still led to some, like, some moves where you were like, yeah, okay, this is kind of cool to watch them, like, pull off this really smart choreography of necessity um and still make it look decently good even if it's obvious what they're doing to but, be fair andre and hogan are two of the best ever and george south is not yeah i know but like but like that was andre best ever but but while like slowly becoming fucking immobile mm -hmm. so like he had a bit of a handicap there but this it was just sad. Yeah. I think the most fun I had with the jobbers is is um this is the smoking guns match because I gotta make fun of what they look like. Yeah. They both they both all, I had Austin Steele and Reno Riggins, and they both look kind of dorky. Uh more so than like okay, like George South tried to look dumpy. Like he tried to look kind of like a scrub. They just kind of looked like dorks. Which is kind of like your two flavors of how to dress like a jobber. <laughs> yeah. Um, Rena Riggins had this like this gaudy jacket. 
I was a fan of the jacket. I I would love to wear that jacket. Yeah, re- my favorite is Austin Steele. Is that like he like does he's like playing to the crowd, but he doesn't know where the hard camera is. So he's playing to the crowd with his back turned, and like I'm guessing the referee told him to turn around because <laughs> then he suddenly turns around. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, oh my god. <laughs> I just I don't know what to like make of any of this there's like there's nothing to grasp onto i'm usually so good at being able to like pull something out of my ass to analyze yeah and like is there this week and i'm I'm upset because i feel like all of the dorky ass characters weren't there this week like and i don't have i didn't have to sit through duke the dumpster drozy you didn't have to sit through the men on a mission or doink the clown (laughs) sparky plug and you they found the most normal dudes of this era to do the jobber squashes and and jarrett was jarrett was the most cartoony of them all aside from you know fucking diesel and sean michael being the saturday morning cartoon villains that they were in this era which okay, I will say for as much as for for you calling Diesel, um, Sean Michaels' sidekick, it felt a lot or fe- bodyguard. Sean Michaels felt a lot more like the sidekick here, like the little like like yeah, you get him, boss sort of sort of like vibes of just hyperactive and manic and, yeah, and kind of stupid. Yeah, from what I've seen, like Diesel and Sean kind of like the switch offs on those roles sometimes, kind of depending on like which one of them is the one who's being important right now. Yeah. And right now, Diesel's the one with the Intercontinental Championship and and fighting Bret Hart for the WWE Championship. So like right now, Diesel's important. So Sean can take a back seat and be like the second, can be like the bot, the second, the second man for Diesel. Yeah, which again was an entertaining dynamic. Maybe that's why I found. Maybe that's another reason I found Sean Michael. Sean Michael's more bearable in this in in this episode in particular is because like they um they they made him the second banana and leaned into how silly he is. So I was like, yeah, this is fine. We're not giving him the dignity of being the leader of this squad. Fuck yeah. off. But uh, no Razor Ramon, so I don't get to make fun of his Cuban accent. Except for the the Ico Ico Pro commercial, which I forgot to mention that. So the kind of the greatest legacy of the the World Bodybuilding Federation, besides that, and besides um, um, Vince McMahon uh, hilariously doing commentary for that for their one and only pay-per-view, which that's a trip. Like you think Vince McMahon, like you think Vince McMahon likes big muscly guys. Mm-hmm. Listen to this man do commentary on a bodybuilding show. <laughs> I, I want to hear something. that. No, it's an incredible clip. <laughs> I, I, I want to, I, I want to like beforehand take bets or I, I want to make a drinking game beforehand of like taking guesses at how, like how horny Vince gets for the bodybuilders and then like take shots either every time I get a prediction right or wrong, depending Ooh. on like, you know, there's a special episode to do is to hunt down the freaking WBF show. <laughs> oh God. But anyway, so the, but yeah, besides the WBF is also, they created their own line of like supplements, integrated conditioning. I forget how they, I forget how that ends. It's integrated conditioning and something else, but it's short for Ico Pro. 
and they 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 and the best part of these commercials is always that they all these same commercials they always have like the top guys integrated conditioning program there is is Ikebirds they always have like their top baby face wrestlers Bret Hart has one uh, Razor Ramon's got one Lex Luger's got one Tatanka's got one and they're just like working out in the gym and then they look to the camera and they're like Ico Pro you gotta want it. <laughs> And I'm like, these are so cheesy and stupid. I love them. But, but and also they're faint. Obviously, it's like you can see the big Ico Pro banner in the background whenever you're in Raw. Like, it's a very yeah. iconic part of the aesthetic right now. So we got to see an Ico Pro commercial of Razor Ramon, like, working out with a fucking toothpick in his mouth. God, they really no, are. No IRS. So we can't talk about this tax man. No, no, nothing. They took Not, all this. We did so... get. We got DiBiase. So I, I, I think that's the only thing we haven't talked about is is the DiBiase in the in the funeral parlor. Yeah, which it was just like, yep, that's that's. He's that doing, he was doing his thing. He was the Undertaker, all right. Yeah, he was pretty much like the Undertaker's coming back soon. Yeah. Wait, but. I, I, I was I was really hoping like the only part about it that I really liked was when he like does this long bit of like what it smells like and I'm like formaldehyde death yeah. and then he's like it smells like money and I'm like oh he's oh. not he's gonna <laughs> riff on his gimmick not other <laughs> <laughs> no this isn't Paul Bearer man speaking of which where is Paul Bearer uh he disappears in the same he's he's in kayfabe I think he's looking for the Undertaker. <laughs> But he's kind of fucked off in the same for the same like Undertaker's not around, so Paul Bear is also kind of fucked off. I just God, okay, maybe this is like spoilers for the future, or maybe you like already covered this, and like it this was just such a mush that I just completely like washed it out already. How the fuck did they recover from this? Because <laughs> everything like like everything about this just feels bad and the fans yeah. are still clearly into it who are there live but it's a significantly lower number of fans the writing is shit the fighting is shit the aesthetic is shit it feels like it, it like you said it feels like this weird like franken baby limbo between between what the 80s looked like and what the 90s were written like and it just like had no idea what it wanted to be how did they not get their dumb behind the times asses canceled in the middle of all this? Um, they were they kept doing just enough to not get canceled, and then they got better. Um, I guess if I want to go into a deep explanation of like how they got good, thing things that happened that let, let WWE get better. So as an example, uh, as as is um. Basically, with the birth of Monday Nitro, it kind of forced them to get off their own laurels a little bit because, like, Nitro did a lot to revitalize interest in, and it kind of add, it kind of added this excitement in wrestling that WWF had already lost from mm -hmm. by this point. And so now it's and it's and you know it's kind of the problem of like when WWE gets bad today is that you know there's a sense of like well okay like they're bad so what like who's gonna topple them yeah. Back in back in the nineties, things were a lot more even. 
with you know WWE's not a private, not a public corporation yet, and Ted Turner is bankrolling WCW. There's a lot more even hand. It's a lot more even in terms of that kind of perception, mm. and. So that happened. Um, Extreme Championship Wrestling kind of came along and blew up the internet wrestling world for as much as that existed. And I'll talk more about ECW eventually when we eventually do ECW stuff. But like for as much as ECW was mostly like an indie promotion that mostly ran out of Philadelphia, that Paul Heyman could not financially manage to save his life. And that's why the company never got bigger. Paul Heyman might have been a completely shitty businessman, but he was a creative genius. And that, yeah. and so that's what allowed ECW to get this kind of cult following. And a lot of the stuff that ECW did, WCW and WWE did, looked at, and they're like, okay, this is happening in a TVMA environment. What can we, how can we make this work in a TV14 environment to keep the same energy? And they both did it to a lot of success in that regard. Um, and then... W, then WCW really kicked it into high gear when they did the NWO thing with Hulk Hogan and turning heel. That whole thing got them super popular, and that only further pressured WWE to get their own acts together. Yeah. And kind of switch it up, because early WCW was a little bit cartoony, too. It was not as cartoony as WWE is right now at that time, but it was a little, it was still pretty cartoony. But WC, mm-hmm. but NWO, they start doing a lot more like reality-based storytelling. Huh. If you want to call it that. Yeah. And then kind of the big one, I think, that is kind of not always thought of is basically WWE got... WWE ended up losing every single established star they had from before 1997, except for... Even including Shawn Michaels, because he got injured for forever. (laughs) So, like, except for The Undertaker was really the only big-name guy they at that time they had left from before 1997. They got to build up somebody... And this gave room for, uh, you know, Stone Cold, The Rock, Man, Mick Foley, Kane, yeah, Triple I, H, I, 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 did, I did notice this is this is a lineup that looks nothing like the Attitude Era lineup. Oh, it is extremely different. This, and I think that's part of what made it work, or what made the Attitude Era work, because it felt so very fresh and new for the WWF. Yeah, I will give it that. After watching this... The Attitude Era feels like a breath of fresh air for all its faults. Mm-hmm. So it felt that way for everybody else. And then, and then of course, Vince Russo kind of stepping up to be the head writer and like his new, his ideas and philosophies about how wrestling should work did played really well to the nineties, to the nineties pop culture. And that was real. And that was the big key too, was that, is that WWF's ca- cartoony, kind of appeal of the 80s wasn't working in the 90s so vince russo throws in his night his very 90s style and that worked yeah and god i don't this like fuck i don't know if i'll ever be able to bring myself to like really complain about the attitude era again because like <laughs> fuck for as for as problematic and dumb as it can be sometimes at least it makes me feel something yeah this is like I said, this was a lot more tolerable when I could just binge watch through all and only have to remember the best stuff, or at least the most memorable stuff. Just did not like. I'm just so like I I, I feel so like empty. I can't. I I'm I'm I, I I want you guys to know like in my brain I'm 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 
like running on all cylinders trying to think what is there that I could possibly grasp onto to find some deeper layer to what is there about the writing? Nothing. It's just kind of lame. What is there about the aesthetic? I don't know. It's like the eighties one, except there's, there's more mullets. What, what about the, the fighting? Eh, it's all right. Like, there's just there's there's nothing here. It's so shallow. Fuck. This is like this is the first time like that 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 this feels like truly deeply nothing here shallow. Even the fucking Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage special, I could find something to talk about because we had their whole weird like running neuro- neurotic shit for each of them with like with like Elizabeth and the refs and what but this was nothing. There's nobody prominent. There's nobody. There. There's. There's nothing like all that interesting. There is no thought that's going into the writing. We're just kind of here. This company's spinning its wheels, and it hurts to watch. I see that I picked well for an intentionally bad storyline to cover. Oh God, I'm in so much pain. A storyline that I still refuse to tell you what it is. What were what I picked this for, and. Because because here's the thing, the way you talked about it, the way you talked about it in the preview, I was like, it's gonna be something we're you know, we're gonna watch that part of it next week. I have to slog through more of this just to get to the thing that you picked out for me to get performatively angry about. Fuck off. Yeah, I'll be on I'll be honest. I like I had to put a lot of thought into like where to start this. And it was hard. Because none of the none of them felt like a great starting point, uh, so I had to like pick one. I was like, pick a spot, and I'm like, okay, this works as best as I can make it work. Uh, and like I said, that when we get to the part where, when we get to the part where it's obvious why I picked it, it will make sense why I picked this one. But before that, but until then, I kind of am keeping still keeping you in the dark about it. Uh, okay. okay. It's fine. It's fine, David. We're not going to touch on this one for like a month any for another month anyway. We're not coming back here for like a month. Deep breaths. Deep breaths. <laughs> analyze next week. There'll be something to happen. Let's go to next week. Which? What is the polar opposite of wasting an hour of television? Of course, I'm referring to Lucha Underground. Yes. You know, re- <laughs> oh mana i'm gonna be honest ambrosia I didn't, I didn't intend for like when i when i was picking through how to like structure our podcast schedule wise it wasn't intentional for like david's least favorite era to be right before whenever we do lucha underground stuff to kind of further emphasize how good lucha underground is but that is what's <laughs> it happened keeps happening and maybe that's part of the reason like I'm so in the tank for Lucha Underground is because it's such a palate cleanser after we want such drudgery shit. But next time we our first episode after Aztec Warfare. Oh. Prince Puma is is your new Lucha Underground champion, but now Ooh. everybody wants a piece of the man oh, on top. God. Give who me that will, Puma. Who will step up? Give me that Mundo. Give me that Cueto. 
Give me, give me, give me so, give me, give me a little bit of of the Mad Mariachi as a treat, um, um, uh, a side dish of Pimpinella if you can manage. But overall, just give me some lucha, please. <laughs> <laughs> and but that is for next time. Uh, David, hit the plugs. Yes, sir. Okay, so. Oh, my friends, my friends, my dear, dear friends, thank you for watching, slogging, however you choose to describe it, with us this week and all the weeks. Um, if the, if you're new to this podcast and are wondering where in the world you can find us, other than whatever platform you are currently listening on, we can be found on YouTube, we can be found on Spotify, we can be found on Apple, and we can be found on Google. Uh Please, please give us a, a listen, a subscribe, a follow, throw us some ratings, some comments, anything to kind of, you know, boost our engagement, get the word out that we are here and we're, we're ready to rock. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're ready to entertain all you, uh, all you noobs and knockouts alike. Um, if you'd like to interact with the show on a, uh, on a slightly more uh, 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 small interactive basis, we have, uh, we have a Twitter. You can follow us at noobs and knocks pod. That's noobs, the letter N, Knox Pod. Um, it, uh, we can also be found uh, on Patreon now. We're on Patreon we now. We are on Patreon. We are. Uh, with our, our currently currently our only tier is a um, is a one dollar tier of of forty eight hour early episode access, and I believe a patron shout out uh, at the end of episodes. Yes. Yes. If 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 you join our lovely one dollars here, then uh, then at the end of the episode, I will say your name. Thank you for your support. And if you have anything else you'd like to plug, we'll plug. Get parasocial on us, baby. Yeah. What? Yes. And we will. And to be fair, we, fair, we are trying to think of some other t forms of um uh, content for the Patreon. We just have not yes. nailed that down yet, but we do yes. have some ideas. And if you want to, if you want to get in uh, super direct contact with the show, uh, suggest. Suggest episodes, give us feedback, just say, just say hi, you sexy, sexy men. I'm so happy I get to listen to you every week. Uh, uh, you can also email us at uh, um, uh, noobsandknockoutspod at gmail.com. Uh, so, yeah, those are all our, those are all our plugs. Uh, you know, like, comment, share, subscribe, review, uh, patron us up a little bit if you're feeling it. Um, yep. Tweet at us, email at us, and as always, just keep, just keep being along for the ride we love having all you folks here with us uh and we're so excited to uh to keep this train rolling through the good through the bad through the ugly we'll this be here for you ugly. this week was the ugly but 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 regardless we will be here to provide you the the best content that we can um for for people who are uh well versed in this world or for people who have never watched a single damn episode of this in our lives we're here to just entertain all of you so thank you for letting us entertain you absolutely thank you and see you guys next time later <laughs>